Okay. Continuing in the book of James this morning. Thanks, Steve. Last time I went through like half the sermon before I noticed. (laughs) James chapter 3. Something I want to ask this morning as we get started is how often do we think about the impact of our words? See, we live in a very interesting time where just about all of our speech is public, can be recorded, can be held against us, and is demanded at the same time to conform to a godless standard. A time, a time where it's very easy for any speech to be regarded as hate speech, and when a refusal to speak in the terms of the world can be regarded even as violence. We also live in a time where for many Christians, Christ-like speech has more to do with a Victorian age politeness than it actually does with biblical examples. This has made Christian preaching pretty impotent. It's made public preaching a fire and brimstone caricature because it breaks the 11th commandment of thou shalt be nice. It's made most evangelism about friendship rather than getting people saved. And it's made tone rather than truth the ultimate standard of love. And yet for many of us, When the seemingly private opportunity arises, we still engage in gossip and slander. We confront people without self-examination. We speak out of selfish ambition, causing fights and quarrels among ourselves. We say things and support things that have no biblical foundation. So James has been making the case in his letter for what true faithfulness looks like. What does it mean to be a genuine follower of Christ? It's not just religion. It's not just a uh, belief as a mental assent, but it's allegiance to the King. It's faithfulness to our Lord. And so James has admonished us over the last few weeks to handle trials with joy, to understand and resist temptation, to submit ourselves to the Word of God, to not practice favoritism, to pursue a life of good works or sanctified works. And so now James is going to admonish his readers on how their words, their speech, their tongue is to be sanctified as well. Christians must submit their words to Christ. This means speak as Christ would speak, not from selfish ambition and not from a fear of man. We as Christians, in our allegiance and our faithfulness to Christ, are to speak as he would speak. And we'll talk about what that looks like later on. But let me read for us our passage this morning and then we'll pray. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. My brothers, in fact, let's, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I meant to say that. 
My brothers, not many of you should become teachers, having known that we who teach will receive greater judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not fall in word, this man is complete, able to hold in check also the entire body. Behold, we put bridles into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, and we direct their entire bodies. And behold, the ships, which are large and pushed by strong wind, are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, such a small fire, such a blaze, such a mighty forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is set as the world of injustice among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind and birds. But no man is able to tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse the people who have been made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things ought not be so, my brothers. Does a fountain pour forth from the same opening fresh water and bitter water? No. My brothers, is a fig tree able to bear olives or grapevine figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the reading of God's word. Heavenly Father, we lift this time to you now, Lord. I pray that I pray, Lord, that you would use me to to preach your word this morning, that I would remain faithful to what you have already said, and that my job here is nothing more than to expound the text, to apply the text, to, to help explain the text, but it's your word that does the work, God. And you have chosen by your grace to use a, a weak vessel like myself to do this, and Lord, I am forever grateful for that. But Lord, I do pray in fear and trembling, that I would be faithful to what you have to say this morning. And I pray, Lord, that there would be ears to hear, that we would be convicted and encouraged and and rebuked and changed and conformed by your word, God, to, to live a life of godliness. That we would be molded more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name this morning that we pray. Amen. So our first passage, our first few verses, is that our speech will be weighed and measured. This is what James says. My brothers, not many of you should become teachers, having known that we who teach will receive greater judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not fall in word, this man is complete, able to hold in check also the entire body. See, the first thing James is warning is that teachers will receive greater judgment and therefore should be warned. Now, a little bit of historical context to this. Commentator uh, Worthington says, this exhortation presupposes a social situation, much like that in a synagogue where almost anyone who was able to speak in public could come forward and do so. 
We see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, and 31. But we are a long way from ordained rabbis or teachers in this imperative. The point that the commentator here is getting at is we need to understand that James is not simply speaking to just ordained ministers, but certainly it does apply to them. Instead, when we understand that teachers being more strictly examined, it is because of the effect, good and bad, that their speech, their words, their teaching produces. So yes, this does apply to public teaching from the pulpit, as well as to Sunday school teaching, and teaching at Wayside, and even the teaching in private in the counsel that we give others. We will be weighed and measured on the teaching that we do. And so James continues when he says that, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not fall in word, this man is complete, able to hold in check also the entire body. Behold, we put bridles into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, and we direct their entire bodies. And behold, the ships, which are large and pushed by strong winds, are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, such a small fire sets ablaze such a mighty forest. The reality is, is James recognizes that we all stumble in many ways, both seen and unseen. And, you know, the, this, this is such a beautiful thing that James puts in here, because he says we, he recognizes even himself, an apostle, one of the leaders in the church. We all stumble. We all fall short of God's glory. We all fall in so many ways. Thank God that his grace is poured out on the cross for all of those stumblings, for all of those failings that we continue to just add up in our lives. But a mature person will guard what he or she says. See, our speech directs our actions. This is why he uses the example of the horse and the ship. What we say is an indicator of our hearts. Jesus makes the connection between what we say and what we believe in Matthew 12. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The evil person, out of his evil treasure, will bring forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What we say, everything that we say, will be weighed and measured by God. And it's not simply mean words. It's not simply bad words. But any word that is unfruitful, any word that is wicked, any word that is useless and, and careless. So the mature person will guard what he or she says. What does this look like? Well, I have six examples for us. The first is be honest and deliberate in your speech. 
In what you say, speak it truthfully and be deliberate about it. Know what you are saying. The second thing is be kind and loving in your speech. In what you say, it must be loving and it must be kind. This does not mean passive. It doesn't necessarily mean nice, as maybe we understand nice today. Kindness is doing what is the most good for somebody. Be courageous in your speech. As Pastor Keith said before we started, we don't have a spirit of timidity. We don't have a spirit of cowardice. We have a spirit of courage and power. That's what we've been given. And so we're to be courageous in the things that we speak. And if we can't be, then maybe it's not something we're ready to speak about. Be in control of your speech. Don't be unhinged. Don't let anger get the best of you. Don't be out of control where you start saying things that you don't actually mean. Be in control of what you're saying. Be consistent with your speech. What you say should not be hypocritical with what you believe. What you say should be consistent with what you're thinking. And it should be consistent across the board. And lastly, always speak the word of God. Recognizing that our words are powerless to change hearts. In the end, it is the word of God that goes forth. In the end, it is the word of God that is eternal. And so we should do our due diligence to be speaking the word of God to one another. And we'll, we'll talk about each one of these and what they should look like a little bit down the road here. So that's the first point, is God will weigh and measure our speech, so we better be guarding what we say. The second thing is James 3, 6 through 8, says, And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is set as the world of injustice among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, and also birds, but no man is able to tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See, the tongue has the ability to pervert our entire life. Here's a couple proverbs on that. A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife and whispers, and a whisperer separates close friends. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. See, our speech has the same destructive ability as a small fire that grows. Now, for you out here in the Midwest, you guys have fires all the time, but they're usually pretty controlled. Backyard fires, bonfires, it's great. Where I used to live, we could burn things in my backyard all the time. We didn't have to worry about it. We used to have huge flames. It was a great time. But where I grew up in California, that was not the case. In fact, we're dealing with a bunch of fires right now. And a lot of these fires, well, all of them, start very small. But what happens because of the environment is they quickly get out of control. And all of a sudden, you are faced with a catastrophe where people have to evacuate their homes and lives are destroyed. People die. Property is, is, is gone forever. 
Small fires seem innocent at first. And that's why if you ever go camping in California, there'll be signs everywhere with Smokey the Bear, and he'll be telling you, take care of your fires, you know? Only you can prevent forest fires, which is it's quite a responsibility. Only you. The reality is, though, is like a fire staining a forest black, so does our speech have the ability to stain our character. See, when we are, on, we are dishonest and we speak recklessly, we get a reputation for that. When our speech is filled with bitterness, people notice. When we are cowards and perhaps don't speak at all or try to fence it or don't speak up when we need to, history remembers, people see. When we vent in anger and say things that we shouldn't, or when we are inconsistent and hypocritical in the words that we say, or when we ignore or even twist the Word of God. These have a staining effect on our character. But not just us individually, but the church as well. We have the ability to mar and stain the church in the way that some of us speak from the pulpit, which is why it's such a burden when you're preaching from the pulpit that you speak honestly and lovingly and truthfully. Because if you speak false doctrine or you abuse from the pulpit, it's a stain on God's people. We have the ability to stain the church through our counseling. If we give ungodly counsel to people and we, we lead them astray, it's a stain on the church. It allows people to, to walk in sin and yet claim the name of Christ. We have the ability to stain our church in our evangelizing. Or even in our ministering to others outside of the faith and outside of the church and in the way that we approach them and the things that we say. Is it in love or is it, in, is it trying to get another notch on your belt? Is it in truth? Or is it in fear of offending somebody and them never coming back? And so what James says is that our wicked speech is, is fueled by the fires of hell. Now the word here is Gehenna. This was a place of, of refuge. It's used outside of James. It's only used in the Gospels. And it's, Jesus mentions it a bunch of times. It's a place of refuge outside of the city. And it's a fire to destroy trash and dead bodies of animals and criminals. It's unclean. It's polluted. In fact, it was the location where before the reign of Josiah, they would sacrifice their children to the god of Molech. And so it was so unclean that it could not be used again. And so it was basically this, this dump where a fire was continuously burning and things were being destroyed there. It was unclean, it was polluted. And so what James is saying is this evil speech is fueled by what is unclean. And it only produces, like Gehenna, the same kind of destruction. With wicked speech, we can make people twice the sons of hell as we are. That was Christ's warning to the Pharisees. And the punishment for wicked speech 
is hell. It is the pollution of hell that inspires wicked speech. And if if that is what fuels us, then that is where we naturally belong. And so James then says that uh, this idea of taming the tongue, the, the taming of the tongue cannot be done by man. It cannot be done by man. It can only be done by Christ. And so James kind of sets this example. He says, uh, you know, man has tamed every kind of wild beast. Right? Man has been given dominion, dominion and authority over the earth. Even after the fall, there is a power that man has over animals. This is why we have zoos. This is why we have dogs that come at our beck and call. This is why even lions can submit to the whip and the power of man in the circus. I'm not saying it's right. But man has this ability to tame in the way that no other creature has on earth. And yet, even though he can tame even the most wild of animals, even though he can track and have power over and hunt any kind of animal, even birds, yet he is incapable of taming his own tongue. Why? Because he cannot tame his sin. Man is incapable of taming his sin. He cannot be trained. There is only one who is capable of taming sin. And it's not because he's training the tongue. Because the tongue cannot be trained. Sin cannot be trained. It must be destroyed. So wicked speech goes much deeper than just behavior, but... It's really in the heart. This is, this is what James has been doing, by the way, in the last few weeks where he's been bringing up the law and he's been using examples like partiality and then murder and adultery. Why? Because these are ways that we can look at the heart and, and, and the tongue is the same way. That's why Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is abundant in the heart fuels how we speak to each other. It fuels what we say. And just in case we're stuck on mean talk, Psalm 55, 21 says, His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. It's not about smooth talking or or nice talking or being pleasant or flattering, because even that can be driven by wickedness and used for destruction. It's about our hearts. Therefore, our tongues need to be controlled by Christ. See, we are the horse. We are the horse, and Christ is the rider. We are the ship, and Christ needs to be the pilot. He needs to be the captain. And so we are no longer to speak like devils, but to speak like Christ himself. And for that, in order for that to happen, we need to be putting our full allegiance, our full faithfulness in the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Our last point is in James 3, 9 through 12. So how now shall we speak? With the tongue, 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse the people who have been made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things ought not be so, my brothers. Does a fountain pour forth from the same opening fresh water and bitter water? No. My brothers, is a fig tree able to bear olives or a grapevine figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. We cannot be double-tongued. We cannot be praising God and cursing man with the same tongue. See, the tongue is to be used to praise the Lord. We are to worship Him greatly with our speech, with our tongues, right, with our mouth. How are we using our words? Some examples that came to mind were, were singing versus not singing. And you know who you are, those who, who, who don't sing in service. But use your mouth to praise the Lord. Use your speech for something that is God-honoring. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. We're commanded to in Scripture. We are to pray to Him. Speak to Him from your heart. Pray to Him. Talk to Him. We are to speak His Word. Train yourself in the Word of God to speak His Word more than your own. Recite His words. Let it be honey on your lips, right? That, that it would be so sweet that you would be taking it in so abundantly that it naturally flows out of you as you, as you speak to other people. The Word of God is the truth. Not your opinion. Not your ideas, not your thoughts. God's thoughts are beyond our thoughts. God's ways are beyond our ways. So we should not be trying to convince people of our ways or our thoughts, but instead speaking to them the Word of God. So the tongue is to be used to praise the Lord, but at the same time, the tongue cannot be used to curse image bearers. And just to be clear, James is not against harsh language. We're going to talk about this here now. Okay? James is not against harsh language because he uses it. He uses it very strongly. In fact, in James 4.4, he says, you adulterous people. Jesus used harsh language. He said, you brood of vipers. We read that earlier. You hypocrites. Your father is the devil. You whitewashed tombs. Paul used harsh language. He says, I wish that these people would just castrate themselves. And then he says, watch out for these dogs. Watch out for these evildoers. See, cursing is not simply harsh language. It's not just name-calling. In fact, the Bible doesn't really mind either if they're done in the proper context, contrary to popular, popular opinion or theology that you may learn from Facebook or TV shows. The word here is actually more about using indiscriminate language. It's about speaking about or to others without any sort of careful judgment. It's about giving inappropriate labels to people. It's about being careless in your speech so that you would contradict yourself. It's speech that comes from selfish ambition or a fear of man instead of from God. This is what it means to curse somebody with our speech. 
And if we don't understand this, what will end up happening is we'll put ourselves in a really tough spot. Because what it will look like is that Jesus and Paul and James and Peter and David and Moses didn't follow what James says right here. So how do we tend to do this? How do we, how, how do we tend to curse fellow image bearers? Well, one of the ways that we do it is we speak without knowing facts. We, we, this, is, this is huge now, by the way, with, with the internet, with social media, with how quickly things come out, with how fast tweets come out, and they're just posted on the news. Right? And so opinions are formed, and, and Christians, we are no better. We fall into this pattern of we speak, and we have these judgments and opinions without the facts coming out. And so what ends up happening is we say these things, we make these judgments, and what we're doing is cursing our fellow image bearer, because then the facts come out, and we're say, seeing that, oh, we were wrong. If we even get there, because most of the time we probably just dig our heels in. Be patient. Don't be so quick to speak. Be slow to speak. And when I say facts, I don't mean, you know, what CNN or Fox News tells us. I mean real facts. Being able to discern what's actually going on based on what Scripture teaches, based on the wisdom that comes from the Word of God. Don't just take in everything that you're being told. That's one way. Another way is gossiping to others. Talking to people about things that really aren't their business and aren't your business. So if we hear something that has nothing to do with us, don't engage. That's a form of cursing an image bearer. Another one is being divisive in our speech. Coming against the authority of the church without evidence, spreading false doctrine, spreading rumors, being divisive about talking about somebody else's sin without going to that brother and following Matthew 18. Now look, leadership in the church, we're not above being confronted or or corrected. We're not above being wrong. But there's a biblical way to go about it so that people can be corrected, so the church can flourish. So that God can be praised in your speech and and not cursing by causing division. Another way that we curse is through manipulation. Speech through emotion. How we feel is is rarely reality. Have we noticed that? Have, Have we noticed that usually our first kind of emotional response rarely has anything to do with the reality around us? Or is that just me? And sometimes what ends up happening then is is we actually curse fellow image bearers by trying to manipulate them with our emotions. Feel like I feel. Regardless of what the truth of God says, regardless of what reality is, you just need to empathize with me. Well, you're not going to find that in Scripture. Another one Speaking and supporting 
of things that contradict the word of God. Okay, I'll say that again. This is another way that we curse fellow image bearers. When we speak in support of things that are contrary to the word of God, because first of all, that's cursing not only an image bearer, okay, but it's also staining the character of the church. We should not be speaking in support of things that contradict the word of God. We should be submitting ourselves to the word of God. So things like Black Lives Matter, politics that proudly promote murdering babies, sex outside of marriage, destroying the family that God has decided, homosexuality, child abuse through transgenderism, stealing, partiality, racism, atheism, false teachers who teach a false gospel of prosperity, or Jesus plus works, or Jesus plus anything else, false doctrine, We need, as Christians, to be wise in what we support. We don't go in wholesale on what the world tries to produce and show. It's not about our preferences, but about what Scripture actually says. And what we say is who we support, it's who we represent. Does what we support truly represent Christ and his word or not. The last one, the last way that we curse fellow image bearers is by enabling instead of confronting sin in a brother and sister in the church. Sometimes to not speak is wicked speech. when it enables people to continue in a lifestyle of sin and destruction in their lives. And instead, what we are told to do is practice Matthew 18. We go to that brother or sister privately. We talk to them. We love them. We engage with them. And if they're in a destructive life pattern, then we bring another brother or sister that's not, you know, that's not just on our side with things, but actually able to see the situation and talk about it. Right, we follow this pattern. So how are we to make sure then that we are a fountain of godly speech, that we are pouring forth fresh water and not salt water? As I said earlier, we need to be honest and deliberate in what we say. We need to speak the truth. We need to be firm in that truth. Thinking through the words that we're saying. We need to be kind and loving. Remember, kindness is doing what is the most good for somebody, which does not always come across as pleasant, I know. Because I know, for a lot of us in here, sometimes the kind thing that a brother or sister did to us was confront us and let us know, you're wrong. You're wrong. Be courageous in our speech. It's not easy always to speak the word of God to people. It's not easy to talk to people about Christ. It's not easy to to look so differently from the world that you're seen as mean or rude or a bigot or behind in the times. But we are supposed to have the courage of Christ to speak even when it's unpopular. 
But we also have to do it the next one in, in, in control. What did James chapter 2 said? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We cannot do it in this unhinged kind of anger. Why? Because that comes from selfish ambition. That doesn't come from the Lord. Then we need to be consistent. Always speaking the word of God. Knowing that our words are powerless. I would just say this. Are you making sure that the things that you're saying are consistent with what the word of God says? And are you making sure they're consistent in what you say to others as well? And I'll tell you this, I, just, I understand the struggle in this. I understand it's hard to sometimes be consistent as I'm speaking to somebody that maybe I have more trust with. And I feel more of a freedom to be bold and courageous and, and honest with that person. And then when I speak to somebody else and they have a different opinion, I, I have a tendency sometimes... They, my family tells me it's because I'm laid back. Sometimes it's because I'm genuinely afraid. I just don't want to, I don't want to voice my opinion. But it's better for us to be consistent than inconsistent because then that makes us a hypocrite. So I'll say this to, to close. A person's allegiance to Christ is a true test of their faithfulness. A person's allegiance to Christ and a true test of their faithfulness will be demonstrated by their words. It'll be demonstrated by their speech. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that as we examine ourselves through this passage, Lord, that you would have revealed to us where are the places in our life where we need to do a better job praising you, Where are the places in our hearts and in our speech that we may be cursing fellow image bearers and instead what we need to be doing is is following your word and submitting ourselves to, to the lordship of Christ that he would direct our speech, that he would direct the words that we say. God, that we would recognize that our tongue is like a fire. It is like a fire that can stain our reputation, stain our character, it can stain your people, God. That it is meant to be controlled by you. And this does not mean that everybody's going to be okay with what you have to say, God. But it does mean that we need to be lovingly courageous and bold in the truth of your word. God, let us be a church that is concerned about submitting ourselves to what you have to say, God. That we would be so invested together as the Oasis and in our private times with you, Lord, that it would be your scripture that pours forth from our mouths. And not our own words, not our own opinions, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.